Before we get started, I'd like to pray. Heavenly, perfect Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness. May we respond to this infinite love you've given us and shown us by opening our hearts, opening our minds to hear what what you want to share with us, how you want us to, to humbly, selflessly love you like you love us. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, You know, watching the video, um, we are talking, like we said, about love. We are in our series called Loving Others. This is the second uh, week of the series. So this week is almost kind of like part two of the message that we started with last week. Last week, we started with loving God. And so this week, we're going to be talking about loving other people and how that's going to look. And and you know, when we, when we look at the video, when we ask the question, when did we forget about love, we can probably go all the way back to the beginning. But as I look at it, it was really a very powerful and maybe even a, a slightly painful reminder of really how inside of our world today, inside of our society, just how far we've fallen in humanity. And it can actually even just be an encouragement for us as well that we we can as well as should be better at being able to show love, especially as Christians. Um, Nick mentioned a lot of the things that are going on here at Crossroads, which are phenomenal ways of which we do have practical ways of expressing God's love. And so there's so much that we can do, and there's so much more that we can do. Um, But we start with a verse that it says is that we don't just pretend to love other people, but really love them. And I think that's really a challenge for all of us, and especially for those who say they are Christian, that really our challenge is, is our love for other people genuine? Is it something that we see working its way out inside of our lives in different ways? Or is it something that we say, but don't really do anything about? Because it can be really easy for people to put on Um, kind of a facade, so to speak, of saying that we love other people, but not really it being a reality inside of our lives. So we're going to look at that a lot today. Now, when it comes to the subject of love, boy, hasn't love been talked about so much throughout history? I mean, it has been offered throughout time as the solution for many problems. Solution for hate, solution for discrimination, solution for injustice and poverty, songs have been written about it, Um, books and movies have talked about it and done things, you know, we just seem to be shouting it from the mountaintops all the time. And not only that, but through, at the same time, throughout history, people have also looked to the church and to Christians to be the gold standard. However, this seems to be the one thing that both unbelievers and believers alike can frequently see lacking inside of the Christian community. So as we kind of span the Christian community, oftentimes we don't see that the Christian life looks a whole lot different than the life of other people. In some cases, divorce rates may be um, just as high. They see hypocrisy inside of the church. They see infighting inside of the church, gossiping, being judgmental. And so we do have a little bit of work to do. But this is good news because we're going to we're going to work on this together, and, and as each one of us does our individual part, we can break that mold. We can break that barrier out in the world and really show the kind of love that Christ is talking about. 
And so as we start today, it's important for us to know that love is a subject that is so important that it shows up in the Bible over 500 times throughout the Bible, and it depends on your translation, but the word love shows up over 500 times, and its principles and concepts inside of the Bible run throughout from beginning to end. And so we see that it's a subject that was important enough for um, the apostles to talk about throughout the, throughout the New Testament. It was important enough for Jesus to talk about and actually make sure that all of his followers and all the people who were listening to him completely understood what the most important commandment was. Now, Jesus tells them that the most important commandment for us is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and that this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says there's a second commandment, and the second commandment is equally as important, and that is, is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I find it interesting that he says that the second commandment is equally as important, because when I think of loving God, I certainly see a hierarchy there of God here and people here. And what Jesus is saying is that it's more like it's, on, it's equally as important. Loving people, how we demonstrate this, how we show other people God's love is just as important as loving God himself. So as we move into our second message of, of the series, we are going to continue laying the foundation of what this looks like because it has to start with God. Last week we talked about loving God, and that is the foundation of our ability to love other people. When we love God and we truly are in relationship with him, we are commanded to love other people. And here's a little disclaimer, whether we like them or not. <laughs> we don't got to like them. <laughs> says we got to love them. Um, I'm not really sure about that part, but we do definitely have to love them. So as we explore this together, we're actually going to um, take a look at a couple of very important aspects on this. Um, not only just what it means to love others, because a lot of time we hear that, it's like, oh, you know, the commands, love God, love others. But what we forget is the remainder of it, whereas as you lo love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we're going to focus on that. We're going to focus on what it means. Um, we're going to look at who our neighbor is. And we're also going to look at how we do this and what it means to be a neighbor. We're going to answer those questions. So in order to, to kick this off, I think it's important that we have a little bit of clarification of terms, one of which is neighbor. If Jesus is going to use the word neighbor, we should understand what neighbor is. Neighbor is another person. Wow, that wasn't hard. <laughs> any other person, didn't matter, any other person. But to, so, and here's something to keep a hold of as we go throughout our time. To the Jews, a neighbor was another Jewish person. Okay, so somebody that they would have known, or maybe not known, known like a friend, but to the Jews, another Jew. To Christ, any other person, regardless of where they came from or who they were. So we've got neighbor down, and also it's important that when we're talking about love today, in the context of loving our neighbor, we're talking about a specific kind of love. Last week, Bill introduced us to five different types of love. In the Greek language, they all have specific meanings, and the one that we're focusing on today is the one that is called agape love. And agape love 
is the kind of love that means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love someone dearly. And the difference in this word is agape love is action-oriented. It's not dependent on um, it's not dependent on who a person is. It's not dependent on any of that. And what it's certainly not is it's not emotional and it's not feelings-oriented. It's completely action-oriented. So that's what our focus is. Now, sounds simple enough, right? Yeah, maybe not always. Um, <laughs> we're going to start off in this whole process of loving our neighbor by asking a question. Who is your neighbor? Fair question. As we think about it, it's like, well, who is our neighbor? So for some of us, our neighbors are literal neighbor. We do have literal neighbors, the people who live right next door to us. Um, some of them we like. Some of them have dogs that bark all throughout the night and keep us up in the middle of the night. <laughs> or we might be the one with the dogs, right? <laughs> for some people, we live in the middle of nowhere precisely, so we don't have any neighbors. So we have literal neighbors. But let's take a look at the fact that sometimes our neighbor is the person who sits at the desk across from us. Our neighbor is the person who works down the hall. Our neighbors are also our family members, our mom, our dad, our kids, our cousins, brothers and sisters. Neighbors are also the folks in line at the grocery store. When we're at Stater Brothers and Walmart, they're in front of us, they're behind us. Our neighbors are also sitting next to us in the waiting room at the doctor's office. They are the single mom or single dad trying to provide for their kids. It is the veteran who is struggling with PTSD. Our neighbor is the woman whose husband just left her or the person who just received a grave diagnosis. And more, most certainly, our neighbor is also the homeless person we may see walking up and down China Lake Boulevard. Our neighbor is always one of the people that we have the, mo the hardest time with. This is the person who irritates us the most. <laughs> and don't elbow them if they're sitting next to you, please. <laughs> Be like, they're talk talking about you. <laughs> oh, and, but really, our neighbor is the person that we're closest to. Our neighbor is the person who makes bad decisions time after time after time and blames other people for the consequences. It could be our alcoholic father. It could be a drug-addicted child. It could be an unfair boss, an overbearing or absent husband, a demanding wife. They are LGBTQ. They are a different race, a different religion, and they are also Republican and Democrat. And we are actually going to cover a lot of those subjects as we go throughout this series. So I invite you guys to continue joining us on Sundays as we look at how to love specific groups of people. But here's the thing. We don't get to choose our neighbors. We don't really have a say in that because our neighbors are actually who God has already placed in and around our lives. So knowing all of this, now I'm going to ask again, who is your neighbor? Who is the person that God has put in your life that he wants you to love on. And so when, when I had to ask myself this question, it was really kind of fun because I realized it's like, you know what? You guys are all my neighbor, which I love because I like all of you. So that works out well. <laughs> 
But my neighbors are my family. You know, my neighbors are, my, are people who come into the church um, who are looking for assistance. Maybe they need counseling or just need to talk. Um, but I had to be very honest because I did put out there that our neighbors are the ones also that we have the hardest time with and who may irritate us the most. And so to be very honest and open with you guys, I wanted to just share that for me, one of the people that I have the hardest time with in loving my neighbor is actually my daughter, Caitlin. You thought I was going to say my husband, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, really, it's my daughter, Caitlin. Um, I know a lot of you guys know Katie. She was born um, with disabilities. Um, and, we, and so for her, her needs have been the center of our lives for 28 years and going. This is not going to change. Um, she lives with us, and we take care of her. And make no mistake, I love this child more than my life. I would do anything for her. I would die for her. But she living with her is, um, if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day, <laughs> not recommending it, but if you have seen it, and the idea of every day is a reset, Every day is a do-over. Every day you do the same thing over and over and over again. And so at this point in our lives, you know, Perry and I are in our 50s now, and we're, parent we're still parenting full-time. So we still brush her teeth and floss and help her in the bathroom and shower her and take care of her and tie her shoes and make all of her meals. And, and believe me, it's an honor and a privilege, but there are days that I don't feel like doing any of it. And as we go through our days, and I'm being asked the same question four, five, six, ten times in a day, and we have the same discipline issues, we have the same conversations, we have just day in and day in and day in and day out, I can be challenged. I can be challenged because there's days when I'm tired, there's days when I'm stressed, there's days when I'm trying to get something done and I don't want to be interrupted. And so the problem is with this is that God requires me, God commands me to love her as a neighbor. And I, although I realize it might be natural to say, well, she's your daughter. Of course, you're going to do all this all the time. Well, yeah, but she is still my neighbor. And I still get, have the privilege of caring for her. And I still have days when I have harder times than others. And it breaks my heart because there are days when I fail her. And I don't want to. But the problem is that what I go through is a lot of what you guys go through is that when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself, we just don't always feel like it, right? Because what it means is it's requiring us to stop everything that we're doing, no matter how busy we are, no matter what our time is, no matter what our schedule is, is that we have to stop what we're doing. We've got to pay attention to someone else. We have to set our plans aside and get elbow deep in the lives of other people. And that is a challenge for most of us because it requires us to, be, to inconvenience ourselves and it requires us to be uncomfortable. And so, no, we don't always feel like being a good neighbor. But here's some great news. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us we have to feel like doing anything. Yes. Does it let us off the hook? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, the great news is, is that regardless of whether we feel like it or not, God is pleased when we faithfully obey him. And so the good news is, is that 
even though we don't have to feel like being neighborly, God gives us everything we need to love other people. He gives us the time, the energy, the resources, the talents, the gifts, the abilities. And so when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, it is a choice. It is an absolute choice because we can do it. It's not about ability. It's about faithfully obeying God, and it's not dependent on circumstances, and it's not dependent on whether or not the person actually even deserves it. And so interestingly enough, when we faithfully obey God in this area, and as we put others first, we may come to discover that our feelings will change. They do change. In fact, that's the supernatural nature of God is that as we love God and we start doing this and we start loving and, you know, practically showing agape love to other people, what happens is our feelings do begin to change. You, you could never have surprised me more when I discovered this early on in my walk with God and all of a sudden I realized I like people a little bit and I don't know why. <laughs> Because honestly, it was so hard because I had been so hurt by so many people in my life that as a natural defense mechanism, I didn't really associate, I didn't like people. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to put it out there. I did not like people. And then what happened is, is God changed me. And as he transformed my heart, I began to realize that all of a sudden, I noticed something different. I actually kind of started liking people. I kind of started loving people, and I knew it couldn't have been me. It had to be God because I wasn't capable of producing feelings towards people like that. It had to come from God. And so that's the best news of all is that we don't have to worry about it. God will do all the heavy lifting for us. We just need to put ourselves in a place of doing what he asks. So as we take a look at this, we have to take a look at the part of the commandment where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and kind of figure out what exactly does that mean? Because not only does he tell us that this is what we're supposed to do, but he actually tells us how, and that is the how, as yourself. Okay, well, what does that mean? How do we already love ourselves? Well, think about it. What do you do for yourself? When you're hungry, you eat. I don't know what I just said, but it sounded wrong. When you're hungry, you eat. <laughs> um, when we're cold, we put on a jacket. Um, we, we clothe ourselves. We treat ourselves to good things, fun things. We have cars and houses and dirt bikes, and we go on vacations. Um, we, we make sure we're comfortable. We make sure we're nourished. And so we take care of ourselves physically. We try to do the best that we can in every area of our lives. And so when Jesus says, as yourself, it's as simple as what you would do for yourself, you're going to do for other people. And so one of the things to, clear, to make sure we have a complete understanding in this is that what he's saying is that we are to love our neighbor as we already love ourselves. And the reason why I want to caution us in this is because it is, a, it is a very popular teaching in some, in some circles that what Jesus is saying is that we are to love God, love others, and ourselves, And that it's actually like the third or missing commandment that's not stated in here. That, and it's, it's been around for a very long time that it's been said that we can't love other people until we learn how to love ourselves and that we're actually encouraged to focus on loving ourselves more. 
the challenge with that and the caution with that is that is actually unbiblical. Jesus never tells us to do that. In fact, Jesus tells us completely the opposite. What he actually tells us is that we are to deny ourselves, to give up our own way, and to take up his cross on a daily basis. We have to give up our own, our own plans, our feelings. It's not that we don't make plans and go for it, but everything has to go through him and be because of him. And so the challenge with the loving ourself is that what we may be trying to do is feel a little bit better about our faults and our quirks and things we've done wrong in our lives. And I get that. There's things about myself that I don't like. There's things I've done in my past I wish I could erase from history. But the challenge and the caution in saying that we have to love ourselves or that we have to learn how to love ourselves, especially as Christians, is that what we're actually saying is that God's love for us isn't enough and that Christ's act of love on the cross is not enough. And so what we're really saying is that we will only be truly satisfied when we can accomplish a feeling of love towards ourselves in spite of what has already been done. And so that is the tremendous caution there. And precisely the reason why, knowing that we are inherently self-centered people, Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Which means we put others and their needs first, um, making sure <clears throat> that we set down our self-centered way of living, risking our own comfort and risking everything. And we have to you know, let's face it, if Jesus is telling the people then that this is what he requires them, clearly this is a problem. It's been a problem throughout history. It's been a problem then, and it's still a problem now when he's addressing the crowds because he's, he's teaching. And so we're going to go through the verses a little bit and pull them apart to help us understand the whole point in all of this. So we start by looking at where it says that one day there was an expert in the religious law, and it's important for us to keep that in mind, that we're talking about somebody who knew God's law, somebody who was very familiar with all of it. So there really should never have been any question. But he stands up to test Jesus by asking him the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, the expert, well, what does the law say? And so he replies that you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, of course, Jesus says you're right. <clears throat> Do this and you will live. However, this man, this expert in the religious law, he wanted to justify his actions. So it seems that he knew there was something that he wanted to get out of doing. And so he starts trying to test Jesus by saying, so he asks the question that we've already asked ourselves well, who is my neighbor? Well, it looks as if the expert in the religious law is actually trying to look for a loophole in God's law itself. And so really what he's asking Jesus is, well, you know, do I have to love everybody or just people that I like? You know, what's, what's the loophole that I can go through? Do I really have to get deeply involved? How much do I have to put out? You know, what needs to take place? How much do I have to love this person? And so Jesus answers his question with a story. So he tells him about a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, they left him for dead on the side of the road. And so as he's lying there on the side of the road, it just so happens that a priest, another person who would know the law, comes alongside. But when he sees the man lying there, he crosses the street. 
and he goes on his merry way. And in fact, another person from who would have known the law, a temple assistant, same thing. He's walking down the road. He sees the guy. He crosses the street and leaves him there. And so what's happening here is we look, what we're seeing is that the very people that we would expect to be the heroes of the story are not. These are the people inside what we would know is the church. These are the people who are supposed to love God and love other people. But what's happening is that they don't want to get messy. They don't want to get involved. And because being Jewish, what would have happened is if this guy happened to be dead and they touched him, it would have made them ceremonially unclean and they wouldn't have been able to go into the temple and there's just all of these things that go on with it. So they didn't want to be inconvenienced by all of this. So they just turned, they just turned away from this guy. And this is the challenge, is that the people who were expected to do right didn't. Now, mind you, the road to Jericho was well known as a very dangerous path. In fact, it was known, they used to call it the way of blood. So this kind of activity, you know, being robbed, being mugged on the way down there, this was something that happened all the time. So not only did they want, not want to maybe become unclean, they, weren't, they didn't want to put themselves at risk either. So then Jesus continues the story by talking about the third person comes along, a despised Samaritan. And when he sees the man, he feels compassion for him. He picks him up. He puts bandages on his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. Um, he hauls him down to the Super 8. And, you know, he tells the guy, he says, you know, help take care of him. Here's some money. He handed the innkeeper um, some money and says, you know, if, if the bill comes out to be more than this, I will, I will pay you back on my way back through. So what's so important about this part is that you'll notice it says despised Samaritan. See, to the Jews, the Samaritan was considered what they would call a half-breed. He was half-Jewish and half-Gentile, and they were absolutely rejected by the Jews. They did not associate with them. So it's not... It's not unique that Jesus has purposely used Jewish people and somebody that the Jews didn't like to point out who actually was the neighbor. And so the outcast is the one who stepped up. And he, of course, is putting himself at risk too. So Jesus is highlighting the fact that the one person you wouldn't expect to help out was the one who was doing the right thing. And so finally, Jesus then asks the expert in the law, um, he asks him a question. And this is where it's fun, because if you remember, the expert in the law, the question that he asked Jesus was, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus turns around and asks him, who of the three people in this story was the better neighbor? So he flips it on us. And so the man replies correctly. He says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you're right. Now go do it. Just do it. This is what Jesus tells us to do. Now, when we look at our own lives, the opportunities like the one that we find in the example of the Good Samaritan are relatively few. Chances are we're not going to go somewhere where we see somebody lying on the side of the road left for dead. That's a rare opportunity, but what the opportunities that we have are consistently are the day-to-day -day opportunities of being a neighbor and looking to who is our neighbor. The people that we... Um, engage with and interact with every single day. And those are really what we want to focus on. And as we do, to keep in mind that what we started with 
is the word love, agape, action-oriented, the kind of love that we want to show people, and it's not a hypocritical love because doing this agape love, remember, is a choice. Being a neighbor is a choice. We're not going to rely on our feelings. And so what Jesus was doing is he was, in this story, he was calling the religious leaders out, just like he often calls us out. And sometimes we need to be called out because we can get really comfortable doing what we do in our lives, you know, not that we're doing anything wrong, but we get very comfortable in our lives, just kind of going along, thinking we're doing all right, when Jesus is really kind of calling us out and asking us, are we pretending to love others, or do we really love them? He calls me out. He's exposing our intentions. He's exposing any hypocrisy that may be there. And so this is always something that we should evaluate because it's very clear that if someone says, I love God, but they hate a fellow believer, they don't, they don't get involved, they don't ask how things are going, or they keep everything so surface level to prevent from getting too involved. It's like, we can't do that. If we say we love God, but hate a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Because if we can't love people who we see, how in the world are we going to love a God that we can't see? And so when it comes to real agape love, this is something that should move us to action the same way that it did Christ, who never put himself above other people. In fact, not only did he not put himself above other people, but he never hung on to his position in heaven, his equality with God. He never clung to that. He never grabbed a hold of that or or used it. He instead gave up every divine privilege, every comfort, every blessing, everything he had in heaven to come down and get dirty with us crazy people because he loved, because that's how we love. That's how he shows us what that means and what it turns into for us is to not be selfish. Do not try to impress other people, but to be humble and to think of others as better than yourself. And let me just say, sometimes when we look at people, when we look at the homeless person, when we look at the drug addict, when we look at the prisoner, when we look at the person who isn't like us, do we see them through God's eyes? Or do we have a tendency to start formulating opinions in our minds? Or do we see them the way Jesus sees them? And so as we move into what it looks like on how to apply agape love in our own lives um, and inside of, inside of the relationships that we have in our life. In John 13, Jesus says he gives us a new commandment. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we had the two, love God and love others. He says he gives us a new commandment, and really it's not a new commandment when you think about it because this really encompasses everything that we've been talking about. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other because it's how we love one another. It's how we care for one another. It's how we get involved in one another's lives that proves to the world that we are his disciples. This is how we show God's love. And so when we look at this, I'm going <laughs> to, how we apply this, we're simply going to go back to kindergarten for a moment because how many of us learned the golden rule like around kindergarten age? This is something we've known our entire lives. The golden rule comes out of the Bible. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And yet, oddly enough, 
this has often been forgotten, like it said from the very beginning. But if we were just to take this basic principle to do unto others as we would like them to do unto you, there would be a whole lot more neighborly stuff going on. So we learn about this. It's not deep theology because we know how we want others to treat us, don't we? We, we want to be treated with kindness. We want to be treated with love. We want to be treated with compassion. We want to have our needs met when necessary. We absolutely want to be given grace and be forgiven when we make mistakes, don't we? We don't like to be yelled at. We don't like to be hurt. We don't like to be neglected. We don't like to be judged. And so it's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. And this is a great reminder for myself when I'm dealing just with anyone, but really when I'm more so inside of my, the intimate relation, relationships inside of my life. So as we kind of take a look at this, um, what's normal for most of us is that we've got distinct areas or distinct groups of people inside of our lives where we practice neighborly love. The first one is typically those in our intimate circle, our husband, our wife, our kids, our immediate family. On the next set out, we see that the people who are our neighbors could be our literal neighbors, our church family, um, are the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with. And then on the outer circle, is has a tendency to be people that we don't really know, but we may interact with at some point. It could be the homeless person. It could be people that we meet as we're doing missions or just, you know, interacting around town. So as we look at our golden rule, as we look at doing unto others as we ha would have them do unto us, it's a, it's a set of attitude and our words and our actions and how we interact with them. But before we, before we do anything, there is one key factor. We have to talk salvation first. We have to talk salvation first because the first thing that we need to settle in our minds is are we as concerned with their eternal future as much as we are concerned of ours? Do we want them to go to heaven just as much as we want to go to heaven? And that's really where this has to come from. This should be the driving force of our life. This is actually our, our prime directive, really, is to bring people to Christ. So this needs to be the first and foremost thing that we think of as we approach this. And just being able to introduce them to Christ, to want them to go to heaven, to see them with God's eyes and love them with his heart. And so when we look at the intimate relationships, salvation first in all of this area, is that in our intimate relationships and the practical how-to is how do we apply agape love to the intimate relationships in our lives? These are, these are the neighbors that we often treat the worst, isn't it? We, we treat our husbands and our wives. These are the people that we kind of take it out on the most. And so it's, it, these are the folks that we expect to put up with our faults and failures while expecting them to live up to unreasonable standards that we put on them. And in the process, sometimes we may end up holding grudges. We keep a running list in our minds of the things that they have said or done that have hurt us. Um, and so these are the things that we have to deal with. And so as we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love, the love we're talking about, this agape love, this action-oriented love produces patience and kindness. And what it means is that when these things do happen, when we are inside of the intimate relationships in our lives, when our, when our husband or our wife says something that hurts us, when our parents say something that hurts us, what we do is we choose 
to respond in patience and kindness. When we're tired, when we're stressed, when we're hurt, we don't bring up the past to use it against another person. We don't roll it out in front of them in order to, to hurt them. What this kind of agape love is, is it's hopeful, it's faithful, it's enduring. And these are the relationships where we get to practice this the most. And the interesting thing, too, here is a lot of us are maybe familiar with these verse in Ephesians where Paul is telling husbands to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And I'll mention this tonight. The one before that is actually wives submit to your husbands, which is great, but we're not talking about that today. Ha! <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms. No, but I mean, and of course, yes, it is important. We're not removing it. It's just that for today's purpose. And this was something that kind of I found interesting. At first glance, we might think that, prob that husbands were having a problem loving their wives, and that's not what's being said because, again, the word love in this verse is agape. So it wasn't so much that husbands didn't feel love towards their wives. It was the practical demonstration of love towards their wives. And he was very specific, just as Christ loved the church, which is very sacrificial in nature. Again, putting the church first. It says he gave up his life for her. So this is a, the practical demonstration of love for husbands to give to their wives. And so this applies to women too. You know, we can't stand back and go, you need to love me like Jesus did and not do anything about it. That's another conversation. <laughs> so this is, but this is what we're looking at inside of that inner circle. So then in our next circle, when we're talking about those we know where our level of relationship might be a little bit deeper <clears throat> or it can kind of stay surface level, people that we know but are not deeply involved in our lives. You know, and again, these are our next door neighbors. These are people that we work with, people that we go to school with, our friends, um, you know, some, uh, maybe some acquaintances. This is actually pretty critical, too, when we talk about our actions and our attitudes and our words, because most, if not all of them, know that we're Christian. They know we go to church. They know we serve up in promised land. They know we're on stage. They know we hand out bulletins. They know we're deeply involved in church. And so where this becomes um, a challenge and an encouragement is how we are speaking to one another. Um, how do we speak to each other? How do we, are we gossiping or are we encouraging? Are we in conflict with someone in the church or are we trying to seek biblical resolution? And why this is important is because they are always watching us. We don't always know it until later. <laughs> but this is crucial. And, you know, when I was thinking about this one too, you know, getting involved in the lives of others is really a matter of practicing what we preach. And we have to be careful with this because sometimes doing this can actually even become circumstantial. Case in point, four months ago, almost to the day, we had two very large earthquakes in this town and in Trona. How neighborly were we when that happened? Everybody was our neighbor. There were, all of a sudden, the differences were gone. It didn't care who anybody was because we all were being impacted by something. It made me laugh because even in my own neighborhood, it was kind of, it's almost, I don't know, I guess people are just people. We do what we do. Everybody was out of the house. 
I mean, not just my house, the neighbors. We were all in the middle of the street looking at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> but everybody was shouting to one another, are you okay? Do you guys need anything? Is there anything, you know, how's your house? What's going on? We were neighbors. It's been four months, guys. How are we doing? Are we still neighbors? Did we build new relationships? Are we still checking on people? Or did we get, you know, in America, it's very easy for us. We just slide right back into the old routine. And so this is a challenge for us. And so finally, so there, there's our second circle. And finally, our last circle <clears throat> is the one on the outside where we interact with people that we don't really have a chance to get to know, but we have just as much of an impact on them. This area can be a little bit more difficult in today's world because like we saw in the video, it kind of requires us to expose ourselves and sometimes maybe even put ourselves in a dangerous position. Let's just say you're driving down the 405, which is dangerous enough as it is, and you see somebody broken down on the side of the road. How apt are we to stop and see if they need help? I don't know about you. I'll be honest. I don't want to get shanked so I may not stop. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it really requires us to kind of dig deep and to be able to kind of pull something out of us that only Christ can actually produce in us to be able to stop and help somebody. But this is how we love other people. I'm not saying that we need to stop for every person we see on the side of the road. If God calls you to do that, then you do that. And if for some reason you can't or you don't, that's between you and the Lord. Um, you know, but the thing of it is, is it's the point of really beginning to think about that. You know, some more practical ways that we can do that. You know, as a church, we offer a multitude of ways to be able to be a neighbor to the community in that outer circle. Nick mentioned the pumpkin patch and also the missions yard sale. The Love in Action program offers blessing bags. We have them back at the kiosk if you want to pick one up. It's a yellow backpack that it's intended to help a person who is homeless or you know, somebody, what they would call transient, moving through. Um, but it's got a blanket and socks in it. Who doesn't need a blanket and socks right now? It's cold outside at night. It's got water. It's got granola bars. It's got some toiletries in it. And it is a practical way for us to be a neighbor to somebody out in the community. Um, he also mentioned spirit of the seasons. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas food baskets, um, Samaritan's Purse Christmas boxes, Angel Tree Prison Ministry Outreach. There is a multitude of ways for us to be able to step outside of ourselves and show God's love and be that neighbor and love them as we would love ourselves. Sometimes it's just simply inviting somebody to church because remember, we want to hit salvation first. That's one of the reasons why we did pancake breakfast. <laughs> Would you please join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we can't even begin to understand the love that you pour out on us. But by the grace of your love, your forgiveness, your son Jesus Christ, and through your Holy Spirit, we can have an idea of what it is, and we can live it out to those who don't know you, Father. Let our lives reflect you. Let us be agents of change inside of this world. Let it start in our home first and just have an amazing ripple effect out into the world. And thank you that you give us absolutely everything we need in order to make that happen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.